speaking, witnessing in the languages of other people so that others may be gathered in. The purpose of the Holy Spirit being poured out, Jesus said before He ascended into heaven, Acts 1 verse 8, You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Why? And ye shall be witnesses unto Me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Peter preaches at Pentecost about the covenant and the promise of the Holy Spirit to His covenant people. The promise is unto you and to your children. That doesn't change. But also this. Don't forget this. We sometimes stop there. Our promise is unto you and to your children. And to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And that's found in the whole book of Acts. The healthy churches, Antioch, Ephesus, even Jerusalem, the healthy churches in all the book of Acts were the churches that became centers of evangelistic and missionary activity because that is the evangelistic character of the covenant and God's people within. As those who are already gathered in the covenant, we might think, well, that's fine and dandy if God wants to gather people from the outside of our covenant community already gathered, let Him do it. If He wants to make the covenant have that evangelistic character, then He'll do it. Well, here's the issue. Jesus Christ has come to His covenant people, redeemed them, and then given to them and to us a command. A command. The mission of the church. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That is a demand of the covenant. Sometimes we use that phrase, demand of the covenant, thinking about Article 21 of the church order and about Christian education. And the demand of the covenant is that parents raise their children according to God's Word, according to the doctrines in God's Word, to the utmost of their power, But just as much is this the demand of the covenant. That we go into all the world and teach them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Out of gratitude for the Gospel He has already given us. The church is commanded to reflect this evangelistic character. And it's not only a command, it is part of our identity as those who have been brought into the covenant. Listen again to those words in Acts 1 verse 8. 
you shall receive power, Jesus said, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Not only, and the implication is there, but it's, it's not only you are commanded to be witnesses, but more, you, you are, you will be witnesses. If the Holy Spirit works in you, you will be such. Luke 24, 47, that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. Not only you must witness, but you are witnesses. You don't get into the covenant. You aren't saved by being witnesses. But you are saved unto being witnesses. You are the light of the world if you have been brought in. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Matthew 5.14 You're commanded to as members of that covenant. And that is your very identity as a covenant community. Witnesses of the Gospel. And you can hear in that, brothers and sisters, that this is it's not optional. The evangelistic character of the covenant is not something we can say. If I want to, we want to show it, then we, we may. If we don't, then we don't have to. It's the very identity of God's covenant people. To impress upon you the urgency and seriousness of this, three implications. First, that's the identity of a true Christian. A true Christian is a witness. A true Christian is a light. With both deeds and words, and words and deeds. Words without deeds is hypocrisy. Deeds without words is inadequate, insufficient. Christians are witnesses of the gospel. Why art thou called a Christian? Hyderabad Catechism, Lord's Day 12. Because I am a member of Christ by faith, and thus am partaker of His anointing, that so I may confess His name. The Catechism is expounding on the name Christ, and then expounds on the name Christian, those who are in Christ. And all those who are Christian, meaning joined to Christ by the bond of faith, receive His anointing of prophet, priest, and king, the office of believer. And the first of those offices listed is the office of prophet. A Christian is a prophet. A true Christian as a prophet will confess, the catechism says on the basis of God's Word, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard, the disciples said. That's what Christians say. We have to. We have to bubble forth. 
a Christian, a true Christian, has his identity as a witness. A second implication is that the true church has this evangelistic character. The true church has three marks, you remember. The true preaching, the pure preaching of the gospel, administration of the sacraments, and church discipline. The evangelistic character of the covenant pertains to the first mark, the most important mark. And the mark, the first mark of a true church is not only pure doctrine, having pure doctrine in our creeds and in our stances as churches, but the preaching of that gospel. And the preaching of that gospel is not only to those already in the covenant, but the preaching of the gospel is supposed to be abroad. As the canons put it, Head 2, Article 5, the promise of the Gospel together with the command to repent and believe ought to be declared and published to all nations and to all persons promiscuously, without distinction, to whom God, out of His good pleasure, sends the Gospel. That is a description of the first mark of a true church. Johannes Blau wrote a book, The Missionary Nature of the Church. And just one statement by him, by Blau. There is no other church than the church sent into the world. That's very strong. There is no other church than the church sent into the world. the evangelistic character of the covenant is, it pertains to the first mark of a true church. And the third implication I draw out is that it is a priority of true prayer as God's covenant people, as we are engaged in this communion, fellowship with God, we will be in prayer, in prayer. And a priority, one of the top priorities even, in prayer, as Jesus prays and as He teaches us to pray, is evangelism and missions. Jesus' prayer, listen, in John 17, 20. This is a prayer that He not only prayed before He died, but a prayer that He continues to pray as our ascended and interceding Savior. Listen to Jesus praying. Neither pray I for these alone, meaning those of His disciples already gathered, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's what Jesus prays for. 
That was one of his last petitions before he went to the cross. That they all may be gathered. Because all of, the, all of them who were to be gathered were those for whom he was dying. And not only does Jesus pray this, but he teaches us to pray that. Think about the first two petitions of the Lord's Prayer, as we call it. Hallowed be thy name. That is, the Catechism explains. Yes, first, rightly to know him. Listen to how the explanation of the first petition ends. That we may so order and direct our whole lives, our thoughts, words, and actions, that thy name may never be blasphemed, that's a negative, but rather honored and praised on our account. That's evangelism. That's witnessing with our actions and words that others may honor and praise God on our account. We're praying in that first and most important petition that we be better witnesses. That's a priority. And then as you know, the, the second petition, Thy kingdom come, includes missions. Rule in us so by Thy word and spirit that we may submit ourselves more and more to Thee, the catechism says, and then this, preserve and increase Thy church. The first two petitions prioritized by Jesus Himself and given to us to pray have to do with evangelism and missions. Not only with that, but they have to do with evangelism and missions. Just a few applications very briefly to close. The evangelical character of God's covenant does not mean neglect of those already gathered. But it means both a care for those in the covenant and a reaching out to those not yet in. Some think that that's mutually exclusive. I've heard, I've even read, some say and write that if we focus too much on evangelism and missions, that that will lead to compromise, neglect of the saints, and getting rid of the care of our children and our schools and homes. No. No. They go hand in hand. Both and, not either all. Or, as God's people, members of the covenant, we cling to God's promises and fulfill the demand of the covenant to care for our children and our grandchildren, develop the truth and protect God's truth and those within already. But we also turn outward. And God will equip us and protect us to turn outward for the gathering of His people in. Second, evangelistic zeal needs to be in the whole church. All the members of the covenant. Most of the members of the church need to have a sanctified zeal and interest 
in missions and evangelism. I need to grow in my desire for missions and evangelism. You need to grow. Each one of us do. Missions and evangelism is not by proxy. It is not just having Reverend Lanning now do it for us in our place. Or having a website do it for us on the internet. Or having even a committee do it for us while we go on our merry way and think about other things. But out of the organic life of the congregation, as each individual member takes a sincere interest and praise as their priority for missions and evangelism, there will develop in whole congregations the zeal. That's how it has to be. Not a few doing it and then burning out, but all of God's people together together as a unified whole with the same mission. And finally, let's be in prayer. Let's be in prayer with the priority that Jesus Himself shows us. Let us be in prayer in our churches, in our family dinner tables with our children, in your personal prayers in your closets. Pray earnestly for the church to improve in this. Pray for the grace and the Holy Spirit to help us in this. Pray for courage and boldness to bring forth a witness and to be ready to give an answer. Pray for opportunities near and far. God be merciful unto us that's a prayer. We'll sing about sing that in this conference. God be merciful unto us, Psalm 67. And bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Why do we pray for God to be merciful to us and bless us? Listen. That thy way may be known upon earth thy saving health among all nations. We want God's face to shine upon us so that we might be like little mirrors, though because of sin we are cracked and, as it were, dim. We want to be made like little mirrors by His grace so that as His face shines upon us, we might reflect to the nations, how gracious He has been to us. And the result, God says, not because of our doing, but because of His, the result will be for the saving health of the nations. May we pray, and may God answer our prayers so that the promise is unto you and to your children and unto all that are far off. Thanks for your attention.
Thank you, Pastor Mitani, for a very thought-provoking, instructional, and motivating speech. And as I listened, I'm sure, along with others, I kept thinking, now that's something I want to discuss more. Now I haven't seen it that way. I'd like to talk about that some more. I was thinking that I would like to talk to you more. And that's a sign of a good speech. But we all understand that your point at conclusion is simply not that we discuss these things more important, but that we live the truth of that speech as the covenant friends of God and to be zealous for the work of missions in our churches and personally. So thank you very much for a well-prepared speech. Uh, A few announcements for us. We're going to break now into the different sessions that you see in your program. And concerning those sessions, session A, which is led by Reverend Lanning, is going to be in the fellowship room, which is located straight out the double doors and up a small flight of chairs. Session B, which is going to be led by Peter Vanderskaff, is in the basement, and so you go through the large door by the coat racks. There is also an elevator available by the coat racks. So we're going to get started in 10 minutes from now in our different sessions, and you're free to go to either one of those two. Coffee is going to be available at the back of both of those session locations. So no coffee in the foyer, but you choose out a session and you'll get your coffee there. Also, if you did not get a copy of Reverend Quartering's book when you walked in, before, be sure you pick one up. They're free tonight. Evangelism in the Established Church. And then we want to encourage you tonight to be sure to visit the book tables from the RFPA and the RBO. So I believe we can uh, break then now and go to our different sessions.